According to the World Health Organization, the worldwide prevalence of obesity has tripled since 1975 and is now a global issue. As technology has evolved, many weight loss surgeries and procedures are available, and we're going to be discussing their benefits today. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Kenneth Tu and Dr. Nathan Allison. They're both board-certified general surgeons who have fellowship training in metabolic and bariatric surgery. This is Putting Your Health First, the podcast from Health First. My name is Prakash Chandran. So Dr. Tu and Dr. Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. Dr. Tu, I'd like to start with you. How is someone medically considered obese? And tell us about some of the dangers of being obese in the first place. Okay. To answer your question about how someone is considered medically obese, a lot of societies and definitions and medical professionals place a BMI criteria. So a BMI is called your body mass index. All it is is the relationship between your height and your weight. So if you calculate your BMI and it's between 18 and 25, you're considered in the normal weight category. If you're 25 to 30, you're considered overweight. 30 to 35 is class 1 obesity. 35 to 40 is class 2 obesity. And then 40 and above is class 3 obesity. There are many effects of obesity. Every single organ system is affected when someone's overweight or obese. For example, you have pulmonary issues such as sleep apnea. You have heart disease, high blood pressure, coronary artery disease. You're at risk for strokes. You're at risk for type 2 diabetes. So you name it, any organ system in your body would be affected by obesity. Yeah, and you know, one thing I would add, Ken, is lately, especially with the pandemic being so prevalent now, I think people need to understand that obesity affects also their outcomes from the COVID-19 virus. We've seen a significant increase in all-cause mortality and morbidity associated with higher BMIs. And in our area of Florida, we've had quite a few people succumb to the disease that normally should have done much better. And it was directly attributed to their BMI, their body mass index. So I think in addition to the chronic conditions that we talk about, it's a real manifestation if you develop one of the infections that we've been dealing with of late. Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah, Dr. Allison, thank you so much for adding that. One of the things that we're obviously talking about today is weight loss surgery. And how that correlates to obesity is that I imagine people that have tried to lose weight and have been unsuccessful might be looking at something like weight loss surgery to help them. So Dr. Allison, could you talk a little bit about the qualifications to become a weight loss surgical patient and what kind of the profile of someone looking for weight loss surgery might look like? Sure. So there's a couple of criteria that we look at. So first, you have to decide who's paying for the surgery. So in the Society of Bariatric and Metabolic Surgery that Ken and I are both fellows in, they look at a BMI of 30 and above as being an acceptable candidate if they have some comorbidities and things of that nature. But unfortunately, insurance doesn't typically pay for a BMI of 30 and above, and they don't start paying until you get to a BMI of 35. So if you're a self-pay patient and you wanted to have, say, for example, one of our bariatric surgeries, if you came into us, your BMI was 31, 32, 33, and you had comorbidities, and we thought you were a good candidate, you absolutely can have surgery, just insurance won't pay for it. Insurance starts paying for surgeries when you get to a BMI of 35 with a comorbid condition such as hypertension, sleep apnea, diabetes, et cetera. And so there's a whole list of things that they consider a comorbid condition. Or if you're a BMI of 40 and you do not have a comorbid condition, they also consider you an acceptable candidate. 
So typically what we do is we have a first-time evaluation and we talk to the patient and we calculate what their BMI is. We talk to them about their comorbid conditions and then what their goals are in terms of what they want to achieve, what weight would they like to get to, what comorbid conditions, if any, would they like to see either diminished or completely cured from the surgery. To add to that, I think that's a good point, Dr. Allison. Uh, I think a lot of people mistake the fact that you have to be a certain weight or have certain comorbidities to, to qualify for surgery. A lot of that is just an insurance criteria. We know that someone that has a BMI of, say, 30, has diabetes, has sleep apnea, has hypertension, so they have multiple comorbidities. Now, that candidate may not qualify under the insurance guideline, but from a medical standpoint, I still think that that patient may benefit greatly from one of the weight loss procedures. So, Dr. Tu, just expanding on that a little bit, can you actually go over the weight loss procedures and the differences between them? Okay. So when you talk about the three main procedures, lap band was known to be the least invasive of these procedures. And that's how it became so popular. I would say back in the 90s and 2000s, everyone that came in got lap band because it was a very low invasive and a quick procedure. So in that procedure, what we're doing is we're putting a silicone band with a balloon around the top portion of your stomach. That in turn is connected to a port that is placed underneath the skin outside of the abdominal cavity. So what happens with that is every so often people would come in and they would get a saline injected into that port, which will blow up the balloon. What that balloon does, it restricts and squeezes on the top portion of the stomach, making your brain think your stomach is a lot smaller than it is. So when you eat, say, a four or five ounce portion, you feel full and you feel full until you get to your next meal. So really, it's tricking your brain, making that your stomach restrictive and able to eat a small portion. And patients are able to lose upwards of about 50% of their excess weight. And like I said, of all the procedures, one of the lesser invasive procedures. Then we have our sleeve gastrectomy, which this surgery was really popular in Europe when it first started out. What it was designed for was for people who were super morbidly obese. We're talking their BMIs in the 60, 70, and 80. What happened was people would come in, they would perform a sleeve gastrectomy. And when I say sleeve gastrectomy, there's people mistaking the procedure for us putting a sleeve or some sort of object around the stomach. That's completely false. What the sleeve gastrectomy describes is actually the sleeve of stomach that remains. So what we do in the procedure, and it's all done laparoscopically as well with some tiny poke holes on your abdomen. We go in and we remove approximately 70 to 80% of the stomach. We leave a sleeve of stomach that remains and you're able to eat same thing as your well-adjusted lap band, four or five ounces, and you would get full and satisfied from those portions. But again, it was designed for people who are super morbidly obese. We would come in, do that procedure, get the patients to lose some weight, and then it was designed to be a, a second stage procedure, which was either a duodenal switch or a gastric bypass. But what they found was the sleeve patients were losing almost as much as their gastric bypass counterparts, and that's how it became a um, standalone weight loss procedure. And then we get to the third procedure, which is our ruin Y gastric bypass. When we talk about gastric bypass, this is pretty much the gold standard in weight loss surgery. It's been around for 70 years. It was done with a big incision when it first started out. But over the years, as surgeons got better, surgical training got better, as we knew more about the procedures, we're able to do that procedure laparoscopic now. Again, through some, some tiny poke holes on the abdomen, 
we're able to do it a lot quicker. Patients are in the hospital for most of the time, two nights, and they're, they're out of the hospital. But what we do in that procedure is we go in and we create a small stomach out of the top portion of your normal stomach. And the remainder, I would say 90% of the stomach is bypassed. Then we take a part of your small intestine or your small bowel and hook it up to your new stomach. So when you eat, food fills up the small pouch. Again, about four or five ounce meals will get you full. And then that food gets passed into the small intestine, which is more distal, a lot quicker. So we're bypassing a major portion of the stomach and the first portion of your small intestine. So you do create a little bit of malabsorption. So all the calories you eat is not absorbed. So you do get a little bit more weight loss with a gastric bypass than, say, with a, a lap band or sleeve. With the band, I said 50% excess weight loss. With the sleeve, I would say about 70, 75% of your excess weight. And then with a gastric bypass, we're talking about 80 to 85% of excess weight loss with that procedure. Yeah, I think each surgery is different, but the beauty of what we do is we try to customize it to the patient's condition. I think Ken mentioned earlier that uh, the lap band was done and was real popular in the 90s and 2000s because people were just putting them in, but they weren't really doing what we would consider a proper workup to make sure that is this the right surgery for the patient. So each surgery is similar in some respects, but different in others. And so we try to do a pretty thorough workup preoperatively to know which surgery is going to be the most successful for the person. And then we apply that knowledge to the patient so they don't have issues later. And I think that's been one of the most successful things of our program is tailoring the right surgery to the right patient. Yeah, so let's take the time to expand on that a little bit, Dr. Allison. Can you talk a little bit about the process that patients go through so you can make sure to tailor the right surgery to the right patient? Yeah, so the process is pretty streamlined. And whether you're a self-pay patient or an insured patient that's having the surgery, the process is the same. So you have an initial evaluation with either myself, Dr. Tu, or one of our team. And the initial evaluation is just getting to know you, what your current BMI or body mass index is, any of your comorbid conditions, and then what your expectations are. At that initial evaluation, what we're trying to assess is, are we going to be able to meet your needs and is it going to be a safe surgery for you? Not everyone's going to be a surgical candidate, so we have to kind of establish that right off the get-go. If you're a good surgical candidate, you're not an extremely high-risk surgical candidate. For example, you're not on a heart transplant list or you're not going to have some issue that's going to make it very difficult for us to do the surgery. And you're an acceptable surgical candidate. Then what we typically do is we do a few evaluations. We do a psychology evaluation that's governed and mandated by the Society of Metabolic Surgery. So we try to follow all the rules on all of those things. So everyone's getting a psychological evaluation. Everyone's getting a nutrition evaluation. And everyone's getting an exercise physiology evaluation, which is really just helping us calculate your metabolic rate. So we want to know mind, body, and spirit that everyone is ready for the surgery. We also do quite an intense educational series before the surgery, just kind of getting people on the same level footing for what's a calorie, what's a protein, what's a carbohydrate, how to read a food label, because some people do and some people do not know how to do that. And then as we're going through the process, we're just kind of educating on where they're currently at, how many calories they consume, how much physical activity they do. And we use various apps for that. And then we try to get them to start losing weight immediately from the first day. We don't wait until surgery. 
And then as we go through, the process is going to be, if there's something that we need to look at with your heart, we'll get that evaluated. If there's something going on with your kidneys or something going on with your lungs, we get all of those things analyzed and evaluated. And then one of the things that we do that sets us apart from other programs is we do quite a lot of foregut and a reflux workup as well for other surgeries that we do, not bariatric. So we use that knowledge to be able to make sure that the surgeries that we're going to be doing do not cause you to have a new problem. For example, if you have a ton of reflux before surgery, we're not going to recommend something like a band or a sleeve because it's going to make your reflux worse. So we do an endoscopy that we will perform to make sure that you don't have any pre-existing conditions that you may or may not even be aware of. Some of our patients have silent reflux that they don't even know is happening. So we'll look at the esophagus function, we'll look at the stomach function, we'll look at the person's ability to do digestion in the upper portion of their anatomy before we ever do a surgery. That gives us the majority of our knowledge that we would need to make sure that we're making the right choice for someone. For example, if someone has a condition called gastroparesis, which is fairly common with diabetes, we're not going to want to recommend, for example, a lap band. And with moderate or severe gastroparesis, we wouldn't recommend a sleeve. So those are things that we need to know prior to doing the surgery. So once all of the workup is complete and we've got all of your evaluations, then we sit down and kind of create an entire storyline of, okay, here's where your journey is going to start. Here's how we're going to proceed. And then we usually choose the surgery by that point. And I think one thing that's really important, and Ken might speak to this, is people come in wanting a very specific surgery because their friend or maybe a family member had that surgery. But that doesn't mean that surgery is the right surgery for you. And a lot of times after the workup, we end up changing the surgical plan because of the workup. That's absolutely right. I think people come in and everyone here is built differently. Everyone has a different reason for being overweight. Everyone has a different reason for wanting to lose weight. So number one, we got to pick the right surgery for the patient. And that's why we do all those extensive workups that Dr. Allison is talking about. But the other reason why we have such a big team and we do an extensive workup and have all these follow-ups is that at the end of the day, the surgery is a tool. It's just one part of the weight loss journey. If we give you the tool and you never use the tool correctly, you're not going to lose as much weight. But if we give you this tool, which is a very powerful tool, show you how to use it, combine it with all the other resources we have, such as psychology, nutrition, exercise, physiologists, if you combine all those things, I think that's what's going to make the patient the most successful. Because if you just do the survey and never have the follow-up that we have for our patients, you're not going to be as successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you went into all of the comprehensive nuances that go into making the considerations, including like the psychological workup, because it is a very comprehensive decision. Dr. Tu, you alluded to this when you were talking about the gastric bypass, but can you talk a little bit about the surgical techniques and specifically the differences between minimally invasive and robotic surgery? Yes, like we talked about, when we first started doing gastric bypass 70 years ago was through a large incision. And most of the times they were bypassing a large portion of your small and bowel, leaving only maybe 100 to 150 centimeters of bowel remaining for absorption. So you saw a lot of malabsorptive issues. In addition, having a big open procedure, say, for example, in a three or 400-pound patient, you're at risk for wound infections. The surgeries lasted five, six, seven hours sometimes. So imagine having that patient under general anesthesia on a ventilator for that long. Your risk of having blood clots, having bleeding risks, pneumonias, heart attacks, all those goes way up. 
But as we improved as surgeons and surgical training and even surgical technology improved, we were able to do these surgeries minimally invasive. And when we talk about minimally invasive, it's through tiny poke holes, little incisions that are maybe half a centimeter big. So back in, I would say, about the 1990s, people were learning how to do this laparoscopically with laparoscopic instruments. When I was in medical school, I watched some of the surgeons train and learn how to do these procedures. And it would take them, again, seven, eight hours to do a laparoscopic gastric bypass. So, again, as surgeons got better, that time came down. Now we're able to do these surgeries in 90 minutes. So, imagine going from eight hours to 90 minutes, the risk of anesthesia goes down, the risk of bleeding, the risk of heart attacks, the risk of blood clots come way down. And then with the advent of the robot is another laparoscopic tool. Imagine if we were to make the same laparoscopic incisions, the same half centimeter incision, and I'm able to put my hand through those incisions. That's what it is. It's a robot, but really that's a misnomer. It's not really a robot. It's a laparoscopic tool that we use. The robot does nothing without the surgeon. So the surgeon actually controls every single instrument that goes into the patient, but with exact precision. Dr. Allison and I actually trained doing bariatric surgery with the robotics back in 2010. At that time, there were only three groups of surgeons in the whole country doing robotics because the training just wasn't there. And now almost everyone across this country is doing it or wanting to do it with robots. So we're proud to say that we were one of the very first people to do the bariatric surgery using the robot. We even actually published a paper showing the advantages and the lower complication rates with the robot. So Dr. Chu, thank you so much for explaining all of the dynamics between laparoscopic and robotic surgery. It's something I've always wondered about. So thank you so much. Dr. Allison, the last question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, I imagine that once you get the surgery, your work is not complete. And so can you talk broadly about the process that patients go through to make their weight loss surgery successful after the surgery itself? Yeah. So, you know, after the surgery, that's when the real work begins because you're going to now use all of the educational pieces we've given you in your day-to-day life. So, for example, you're going to watch your calorie intake. You're going to watch your protein intake. You're going to watch your carbohydrate intake. You're going to be getting back into the gym. You're going to be doing a lot of things. For example, I always encourage people, maybe not in July and August, but in general, to park further away from the building, walk in, take flights of stairs up as opposed to the elevator, just simple things like that, because we want you to have a more physical and active lifestyle if you can do those things. And living in Florida, maybe not so much in the summer months. But that journey starts actually from the very first visit. And this is just another step in the continuum of the surgery. People get hung up on the fact that, oh, I'm going to have the surgery and then that's going to be it. But actually the real work begins. So that's where we have our nutritional pieces. You've met with our team, the nutrition team. You're going to continue to see them You've met with our exercise team. You've met the mental health specialists. All those people are going to be an integral part to continuing your journey. Like Ken alluded to earlier, people who are the most successful continue to follow with their program. So our program is designed to have lifelong success, and you can only have that if you're a lifelong patient. So we want you to see us routinely for just follow-ups and checkups. You know, just like you'd go to your primary care and they're saying, hey, your blood pressure is looking great. We're going to tweak a couple of things. You have to see them at least once a year. The same thing with bariatric surgery. If you have the surgery, that is the tool that we've given you. And now we're just making sure that you're continuing to use the tool effectively. And if you do that, you're going to have great success. Well, Dr. Tu and Dr. Allison, thank you so much for your time today. I really learned a lot. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Putting Your Health First. Learn more about NewFit Surgical Weight Loss at hf.org slash newfit. We look forward to you joining us again. 